Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 23 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How's everybody doing? Happy New Year once again. Back to the regular interview episodes. Hope you enjoyed the holiday ones. Thank you so much for listening to them. Um, this week's episode is also brought to you in part by a brand new sponsor and one of my favorite websites as well to use for working on tunes, and it is strummachine.com. And it's amazing, and I can't believe I just discovered it a few weeks ago, and I've been using it like crazy. It's basically a website with all these fiddle tunes built into it. You can search by tune. I've got Billy in the Low Ground pulled up, for instance, right now. It's in the key of C, like the original key, but you can press one little tab here and change the key to anything you want. Uh, it's got a great count in. It's got all the chords listed out so you can watch them as they change. And you can change the tempo. That's one of the things that all the players always talk about during the podcast when we talk about the 10 minutes is practicing with the metronome and playing slow. This helps you with both. It doesn't have the metronome, but it's got the instruments built in set to a metronome. It's got an acoustic guitar, bass guitar, and a mandolin chop built in there. And the greatest part about it is you can start on, for instance, Billy in the Low Ground. I would start playing it to warm up at 60 beats per minute, for instance. And then it has an auto speed up function. So you can ahead of time set it, and you can actually have the song speed up as many beats per minute that you want every time that it plays through. For instance, I bump it up 10 beats per minute every time it plays th through twice. So it's, it's incredible. It sounds so good. You can make a playlist of all the tunes you want. You can change what instruments play back. Uh, Luke is super nice as well. He's a musician and a teacher, and he developed this whole thing himself. And he's giving Mandolins and Beer episode listeners an extended 30-day free trial to check this out. So if you go to strummachine.com forward slash mandolins and beer, or if you go to forward slash mandolin beer, which is a code that gets used often, you can get 30 days for free. Check it out. You will love it. You'll thank me later. Anyway, strummachine.com. Thank you to Luke. Um, thank you to Kim Warner, by the way, for doing this episode. Kim was in the middle of a tour with Robert Earl Keane. He's, uh, he's originally from Australia, and this is... Just a quick thing to talk about here. I'm going to post a picture and a link that Kim sent me. Kim is from Australia, as I said. And as you know, right now, if you watch the news, they are having a terrible, terrible fire situation over there. And Kim had posted something about it yesterday. So I reached out to him and asked if I could get some information if anybody wanted to donate. Um, you know, Kim's got family, friends. A lot of people obviously have family and friends over there. Stephen Gilcrest, the incredible mandolin player, lives in Australia as well. So... Uh, if there's anything you want to do to donate, there's a bunch of things you can check out on mandolinsofbeer.com. There's a picture right there. So be sure to check that out, and um, thank you to Kim for passing that along as well. And again, thank you all for the listeners. I got some new reviews over on the iTunes store over the holiday season, so thank you for that. If you're listening, if you haven't subscribed, or if you haven't left a review, please do that. It really just runs it up there in the rankings. I really appreciate that. I've also started up some more videos for my Patreon page, which I just... I have some videos up there now, but it just is, it was a lot of work, so I'm getting back at it here. I've got four new videos going up, and the whole goal of this is I'm going to do videos for the 10 minutes a day um, series and just basically things that you can work on 10 minutes a day to help play. Um, uh, so there's two levels of Patreon, by the way. There's the level, which is just it's a couple dollars a month. If, you just, if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support it, you can click that, and it's just a couple dollars, and for a few dollars more, you can get access to the videos and the tabs if there are tabs and different things that come up. So... If, I'd really appreciate it if you go there and support it. It's just a couple bucks. If not, no worries as well. Just you listening means the world to me. So thank you so much. This week's we'll get back to the Spotify playlist updates as well. A bunch of new songs going up there from Kim. That thing's growing like crazy. 
Uh, and the other thing, too, I think I'm going to start up in the new year uh, is maybe doing some Skype lessons. If you're interested in doing some Skype mandolin lessons, go ahead and reach out to me at the contact form at mandolinsandbeer.com. All right, that's it, everybody. Happy New Year once again. Let's get to the Kim Warner episode next week. Casey Campbell. Cheers, everyone. All right, now I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Kim Warner. Kim, how you doing? Oh, great, Dan. Good to see you, mate. Uh, good to talk to you. I yeah, say. yeah, same Fantastic. here. Same here. You are uh, you are in the midst of a, a pretty long run of dates here with Robert Earl Keane doing some Christmas shows. Yeah, we are. We're um, where am I? I'm in Fayetteville, Arkansas today. We're making our way back to back to Texas. We're uh, doing 21 shows alone in this uh, December run this year. So I uh, been been out of town for a while, but it's going it's going great. It's good to be it's good to be playing and uh, nice to be out about this time of year. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And you said it was a little chilly there, huh? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's like 24 degrees as we speak. And uh, uh, for this little uh, southern hemisphere, black dark, man, it's a little too cold for my liking. <laughs> yeah, 24 is cold, though. <laughs> that's pretty free. It's pretty cold, man. I'm not, not going <laughs> to yeah. lie to you. I like to think that I can handle it, but it's, it's, it's not too good. Yeah, so how did, you, uh, how did you meet up with Robert Earl Keane? You know, I Robert... And his guys, the band, he's had the same guys in his band for most of them been there 20 years or so. Um, I met Robert. The first time I came to America to play, I toured with an Australian girl, a friend of mine called Casey Chambers. Oh, we yeah. came over. We did about six or seven weeks. Um, and we opened for this guy, Robert O'Keen, you know. And um, I, I didn't know who he was at this time. Um, fast tracking it, we got on famously. Everybody, all of us in the both bands got on famously. And uh and I moved to the States. This was early 2000. I moved over here about a year later is when my wife and I decided to up and move to America. And, um, and I just stayed in touch. Robert was one of the first people I called when I moved over here. And um, we just stayed in touch for, you know, for the, for the length of the Green Cuds career. And he helped us throughout uh, that with many things. We, we played some shows together. And I would sit in with his band uh, whenever the opportunity arose. Um, and, and that's sort of how that relationship sort of started and we just maintained it and and then going back about five six years now I've been with Robert for five years and um he, he he wanted to do a bluegrass record he's always been a big fan of bluegrass music he loves Bill Monroe and the Stanley Brothers and it's sort of the thing that sort of started his path on on music was just loving bluegrass music so he's always wanted to make a record and and he did a record five six years ago of all his sort of it wasn't Robert L. King's songs it was his favorite bluegrass songs all the old Monroe songs Stanley Brothers songs um, all that sort of stuff uh, in the very sort of the first generation bluegrass stuff, a lot of it was. And uh, he asked me to come in and play on the record. And it was with uh, Robert's band mainly, and Danny Barnes came and played banjo on it. Oh, cool. uh, Sarah Watkins uh, from I'm With Her and Nickel Creek was playing fiddle. So it was a great, great few days in there um, recording this music. And uh, cutting a long story short, I guess I toured with Robert in support of that record. And it just sort of morphed into staying in the band and being a permanent fixture in the band. And now it's... Um, sort of the hybrid electric acoustic thing that we go out and do every night. So it's a great, it's perfect for me. I mean, it just ticks all the boxes for me. Yeah, I saw the show. You were gracious enough to get me some seats a few years ago when you were you and I went and grabbed a, a beer ahead of the show, and the show was yeah. fantastic. And, and um, oh, Yeah, man, and uh, Robert Rokin, he's, he's that guy who's got, you could go to that show just being vaguely familiar with his music and know way more songs than you would ever imagine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, Robert's a, he's a world-class songwriter. There's, there's 
I, I don't have any qualms in saying that at all. He's I'm playing songs every night, and that's what it, the, the older I get, Dan, it's the thing that's most important to me. Anything is the actual content that I'm playing, as well as the people I'm playing with. But um, just want to play great, great, great material, great songs, and, and Robert's gig affords me to not only play the mandolin uh, quite a lot, but uh, you know some other things as well, which I like doing. So, yeah, it's um, it's a great gig. Yeah, and it looks like he, it's, I'm guessing you must change the set list up because I remember you and I were were having a having a beer, and you got the song list for the night. And you're like, oh, there's a couple tunes that I got to go, uh, <laughs> a couple tunes on here that I <laughs> yeah. need to go and work oh, on that's real quick. Cool. <laughs> yeah, no, Robert's not one to just float through a tour. You know, um, this tour is a little bit the one we're currently on is a little bit different because sure. it's, it's a, a very thematical production. You know, there's like I said, there's costuming and staging, so the show runs more similar every night, but. Normally, yeah, with Robert, it just changes drastically from night after night. And he'll pull songs out. I mean, he's got so many songs. He's been doing this for 30 years. He's got albums and albums full of material. And he's got fans that will just request something and he'll pull it out. And I've never heard the song. You know, this is on stage. So <laughs> it's like, um, it's like, all right, maybe someone in the band will, uh, you know, motion the key to, to me. You know, that's a good start. But uh, <laughs> no, it keeps you on your toes, you know. I think it's very much the Bob Dylan school of really just keeping everyone on your toes around you at all times, you know. Oh, Dylan's yeah. famous for, for changing tempos and changing feels and changing keys and everything. Of just, just really, with with no other reason, just to keep everyone on their toes, you know. So I really like that. I love that about Robert. And you did a tour with Dylan and Willie Nelson when you were in your band, The Green Cards, as well. That's that's. Yeah, that's right. That was um, we uh, we recorded a record, released it in 2005. Boy, that's some time ago now. <laughs> Think about it. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And 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 we Dylan and you know Dylan, Bob Bob does these um, summer tours every year, and and they're like minor league baseball stadiums, and um, and he he always sort of has a third act as well as a bigger act. Like he's done. I remember he did some with Haggard. You know, him and Mel Haggard did some, and the time that we were out was him and Willie. Um, so it was amazing, you know, it was, especially for, for us. This was only our second record and we were just starting to have a, make a little bit of noise in the acoustic scene. Um, and uh, this was amazing for us to go out. Yeah, we did like, uh, we did seven weeks, uh, about 32 shows, if I remember, 31, 32 shows. And, and, you know, we'd open the show at five and play a 30-minute set and then Willie would come on and then Dylan would come on. So it was an amazing experience I and mean, it was just incredible. And, and especially for, you know, I'm, a, I'm obsessed with Bob Dylan, I enormous fan i love dealing with my favorite artist so that was just incredible to see it and, uh, and one thing i'll tell you about it not to go on too much dan but the um it was a real eye-opener as far as how to present a performance how to be an artist how to put on a show because you know we went from playing just little rooms little clubs and the occasional festival and things to to playing like i said like a you know baseball stadium um and you really had to learn to, you had to learn to throw that show you know like i mean like not throw it as in throw a bad show, but like push that performance out to a whole stadium, not just play to sort of, you know, 30 or 40 feet in front of you. You know, you've got a grandstand on the other side of a baseball diamond that you, you've got to project to. So it was a huge learning curve for us. Wow. And, 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 and it was also great to see Willie come out, Willie Nelson, you know, play every hit you've ever wanted to hear from him. Um, <laughs> And, you know, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, you know, Crazy, uh, On the Road Again, you know, Whiskey River, everything, all the hits. He's kissing babies, he's shaking hands, he's talking <laughs> to the crowd, he's waving. And then Dylan comes out, you know, it's a two-hour show. All he did was introduce his band about three-quarters of the way through the set. Um, played a unrecognizable set from the night before, you know, <laughs> different content and everything. But equal, equal genius, you know, there's no set way of doing it. It's like it really was, for me, a, 
a way to, you know, find yourself and be unique as an artist. Right. Um, just to not just have to be like someone else, not just have to, this is not the set way to do it. But you got to find your thing. So it was a great, it was a really good thing for us, you know, as, as a band, as players, as everything. It's how to put on a chateau, how to, how to handle yourself. This was, yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, how's how's the opportunity like that arise? Where I mean, that's a that's a huge get. Like you just said, it was a second album, and it was. Yeah, um, I don't know really how all these things come about, other than uh, Bob and his team wanted uh, an acoustic uh, kind of grassy type act on the show. There mm-hmm. were a few bands that were thrown around, and um, and ultimately, for whatever reason, he chose our record. I, I, I heard that he liked the sound of our record. It was our first record we made with the great uh, engineer, Gary Pachosa, who did all those great Alison Krauss records and got the mandolin sounds. Uh, I'm sure we're going to go into this further. But when I first heard Adam Steffi play, every time you say goodbye, you know, yeah. <laughs> tones on that mandolin, was like, who the hell is this guy, you know? And, Those Allison records that yeah, Gary did and, and you know, Nickel Creek things and so forth, get the tones on those things. So, so I know sonically the record, our record, Weather and Water, really did sound, it really did sound good. Um, and, and I know that that was a, a, certainly a big help sonically. So it worked out well. But it was a great time for us. It was really exciting just to sort of, number one, have this new band that was, was starting to get a little bit of acceptance and getting on some festivals and things. And then all of a sudden making that phone call to my dad, hey, you know, Oh, actually, call me back because I haven't got your money. <laughs> like, <laughs> that phone call. Dad, call me back, you know. <laughs> Nothing's wrong. Call me back. And from Australia, and they call me, call me, and I was like, I'm not sure what time it is. Sorry, it's three or four in the morning, but we're going on tour with Bob Dylan for a couple of months, you know. So it was a great time. That's Fantastic. great. So, let's, yeah, Australia. How do you, uh, how do you d- discover mandolin and bluegrass music and all that good stuff in Australia? Yeah, I, I you know – Funnily enough, not too different than you would here because mm-hmm. I just grew up in a musical family, you know. Oh, cool. My, my father, my father's still a picker to this day, and he his favorite genres and the things that that got him into music and got him playing and keep him still playing is he loves bluegrass music. He loves he just loves American roots music, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, anything from from uh, the Bakersfield country music or or um, Hank Williams to uh, you know, Buddy Holly and Elvis Presley. My dad just loved roots music, um, but the man, but the bluegrass music was the thing that caught his caught his ear. He he told me he was going, just was getting into music and was getting into rock and roll. I mean, sometime in the mid '60s, I think, um, when he was probably 20, 21, 22, and he was playing gigs and stuff. And he went into a record store to just to buy a new, you know, Presley record or a Buddy Holly record or something, and they were playing Foggy Mountain Breakdown over the system in the store oh, wow. in the record store and dad, dad was like what the hell is this I've never heard anything <laughs> like this you know yeah and he said oh that's this group this is flat and scrugs and this is a i guess bonnie and clyde was probably just released around that time the movie so mm. so he hears fucking out break then he goes and buys the record and then bought himself a banjo and he went uh on this little island uh funnily enough called kangaroo island just off the <laughs> coast of adelaide and dad went there for a couple of weeks he took his banjo and his LPs and got a room with a record player and he taught himself how, how to play, you know, find some left hand stuff and how to play this banjo. But he said he couldn't work out how the hell this guy could play so fast 
these rolls with a flat pick, you know. Right. <laughs> that didn't, yeah. you didn't, you didn't know. This was the days before YouTube, man. He didn't get on there and see how people were doing it, you know. Yeah. So, um, so he's trying to figure out these these forward rolls that Scruggs is doing with a flat pick, and um, and I think he must have persevered with that for a couple of years. No one was playing bluegrass in Australia. No one. Right. You know. Dad, dad tells me I'm, I'm from Adelaide, uh, which is right down south central coast of Australia. And um, he knew these brothers called the Hayes brothers that were in Melbourne that played this music. But that was his only uh, avenue to seeing it or hearing it. And then he realized that, oh, this is a three-finger thing. Well, it's got three picks, not one. You know? <laughs> um, and um, so anyway, so again, I just had the music around. My dad played all these instruments. He, he still does. He plays all of the bluegrass instruments, you know, fiddle, banjo, dobro, mandolin, guitar, sings great. So it was around, dad's friends were around. And so for me, I just grew up in a bluegrass family, a family of bluegrass and country music. It was, it to me was just, I figured that was the normal thing, man, you know. <laughs> it wasn't until I was on the bus going to high school, you know, and I'm listening to, you know, Flat and Scruggs, the Mercury Sessions or something, and my friends are like, the hell are you listening to, man? What's going on? You need to you need to hear, listen to this band. This is Nirvana, you know? <laughs> you hear this so, oh, um, man. So I just got in. I, I was just around it, mate, you know? I was just around bluegrass music and country music and all those all those great genres. I got to hear, and it, it sunk in. And I started playing violin when I was 10. I, I took classical lessons at primary school for three or four years, mm-hmm. Um learning the Suzuki method oh, yeah. and um, so that sort of opened me up musically and got me playing a little bit but I was sort of just coming home from school and just learning fiddle tunes with my dad even though I was meant to be practicing um, you know Ode to Joy and Lightly Row or whatever those pieces are <laughs> right. back then. so I, I kind of had the bluegrass bug pretty early on and um, yeah just through, just through the exposure of my, my parents record collection and dad having people over for picking parties or we go into, a, go into the park on a Sunday where there was a an open bluegrass jam and barbecue and stuff like that. And uh, and that's sort of how I just got into the music. Not not as much playing, just mm-hmm. as a spectator being around it and listening to it. Right, right. When did the uh, when did the mandolin replace the, the, the violin fiddle for you? Oh, I think I was probably, I was either 14 or 15. I've been playing fiddle for three or four years or something like that. And I, I you know, I, I haven't spoken to Dad about this, but I have a waning suspicion that he kind of saw my... Um, my interest in the violin and music waning, you know, I wasn't really committed to it. And he, so he went and bought me a mandolin for Christmas. And the, the second I picked it up, I could, I could play it. And I was like, Oh man, it's so much easier than a fiddle. You're in tune here. You know, like, <laughs> like this is way more fun, man. This is, this is great. You know? And so, so it kind of worked out pretty well. I sort of, it was almost a shift immediately, like from my whole violin repertoire, which wasn't, Vast, but it was something. Mm-hmm. Just instantly dropped onto the mandolin and the fiddle. I don't, I don't even know if I ever touched it again from that day. So, <laughs> so that was sort of that was sort of when the mandolin came into into my world. That's awesome. And um, what mandolin players were the ones that you, for you that really uh, that you really dug into at the beginning there? Yeah. Well, look. To be honest with you, none at first. I just I just kind of enjoyed that I could play the instrument and get a sound out of it easier than what I was doing. I would just sit and play with, with my dad and kitchen tunes and it, this is so boring. I've been listening to your podcast, Dan, you know, and hearing everybody and all the great stories, but it's going to be boring again because it's Sam, you know. When 
I heard Sam play, uh, I think we got a hundred percent record now. <laughs> yeah, we do, up, man. <laughs> w- yeah, when I when I heard Sam play, it, it it just opened my whole mind up because he was playing things that weren't just like I'd heard Monroe play, and as much as I love the music, it didn't push me to. I, I didn't want to sound like that. It didn't it didn't click with me, you know. And then I heard Sam and how progressive it was, and 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 winding back just slightly, how I got into Sam was I was reading some. If you ever remember this magazine called Fretz Magazine, oh yeah, but my dad, um, my dad subscribed to that from Australia. So every month or so, a magazine that'd come in the mail, and um, and he'd have buckets and bucket loads of these magazines out there. And I was flicking through them one day, and I guess my curiosity was like, I probably should, you know, find out about this instrument and about some of the people that play this instrument. You know, I, it was starting to get to me where I was, I was progressing a little bit, and I, I was starting to think you know i really need to pay more attention and and, and take this seriously and and i was reading a frets magazine a mandolin issue i remember it had grisman and skaggs um who else uh jesse mcreynolds um maybe something about mark o'connor and then sam bush i didn't really know too many of these people i'd heard of monroe and mcreynolds and stuff through dad and i was reading it and and i was reading about this sam bush guy and then the question was posed of course about his rhythm playing i didn't even heard him play at this stage <laughs> And, he, and they were talking about his rhythm influences. And he said, well, you know, Bob Marley is a huge influence. And, and that blew my mind because Bob Marley was about the first music I ever got into on my own, you know, that I loved. My neighbours used to play Bob Marley records, and I, I just used to love hearing them. So my mum and dad bought me some Bob Marley music, and so that was the first artist I ever really dug was listening to my own. Yeah. And then I'm like, there's this mandolin player that's into Bob Marley. Who the hell is this guy? You know. <laughs> right, so I right. say to my dad, I, I said, Dad, have you, you heard of this Sam Bush character? And dad's like, Oh yeah, Sam Bush is one of the best mandolin players alive. And um, and I said, Have you got any of his music? And dad had a couple of things he'd played on, and um, and then he got me late as usual that first Sam. Uh, solo record. Yeah, I'm literally was, looking uh, at an autographed CD cover. Oh, is that right? right now. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah, I'm looking. Well, I love right that. that. <laughs> so that was the that was the first thing that got me. That was the first time I sat down and tripped play on a record and tried to learn something that a mandolin player was playing. I remember um, that beautiful ballad on there, the last letter home, that um, uh, that he plays on there, at, and you know, it's had an F and it's got that beautiful tremolo stuff on yeah. it. That was the first time I'd ever ever was able to play anything like that. Was learning that sort of intro to Last Letter Home. I have heard the From Sam, so yeah, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to come up with something a little more uh, unique. No, <laughs> man, I love it. Yeah, it was Sam it. that got me, and, and, and the list is going to, that we'll get to, We'll create this list, man. We'll grow on it. Don't worry. There's yeah, more awesome. That have inspired, of course. But but Sam was the first one, and then and then I I, I listened to nothing else but Sam and a friend of Dad's from uh, Sydney sent me over some cassettes with a record on each side. You know, in the old days of cassettes. Yeah. So he sent me like four cassettes with about it must have been you know six or eight Newgrass Revival records on them, and oh, then that man. was it. My mind was blown. From that <laughs> moment on, the mandolin actually was something I really had an interest in and wanted to wanted to explore and, and, and hoped to get good at, you know. Yeah. And um and you won some bluegrass mandolin championships is that right? Um like the Australian national 
Yeah, so so every year in uh, and this still happens every year in Australia uh, in with this festival called Tamworth Country Music Festival, and it's a big, it's a huge deal. All the all the touring acts, you know, play there every year at the same time. So it's it's a great time because all of our friends who are touring with other musicians, you get to hang out. It's hundreds hundreds of friends that you you don't get to see that much through the year. So it's this great festival, and within that festival, they had for many years the the, the bluegrass championships. They had banjo, uh, guitar, and fiddle for many years, and then they finally brought in the mandolin one, and that was right at the time where I was playing. Um, so, yeah, I signed to those competitions and just went in, and it was it was really just fun because it was the only time all the pickers really got together, you know, because we didn't really have much like that in Australia. Sure. So this was the time all the pickers would get together, and you just meet at 8 in the morning, everyone just sit around jamming, and then they'd call, no, number number, number 17, oh, hang on, fellas, got to go in and play. <laughs> go sit down, on a, sit down on a chair and rattle out a couple of tunes, you know, and then go back and hope you made it through, so... So yeah, I was um I was fortunate enough to to win a few of those. Yeah, um, four in a row. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there was a good there was a cash prize. <laughs> I was I was broke, you know. <laughs> so there was a good cash prize. I think at the time it was like fifteen hundred dollars, you know, and I gave you fifteen hundred dollars, and it was sponsored by this company called Bundaberg Rum, which is a famous spiced rum that we drink in Australia. So so there's like, you know, it was good money and they give you T shirts and a cap or something. It was, it was like it was awesome. So um so I would go in and work up a couple of tunes and um I guess I you know I was fortunate enough to win those. So so it, it was it was good. But it, I, I wasn't on any any sort of misinterpretation that, that that meant that I'm all of a sudden this worldly mandolin play. You know, I understood the situation and it was a big big part of the reason for moving here. It was was the reason to move to America was just to be exposed firsthand to to the great players that that are in this country, you know. Yeah. Um, because we have we have handfuls of people in Australia, but it's, it's the population's not there. It's a you know, a, bluegrass music is sort of a a um, a little a, a smaller genre even over here. You know, it seems like it's. You know, it's, it's a huge thing. It's so much bigger than it is back home, but it's still a, a, a more of a pocket genre in America, even. For sure. So, so imagine what it's like in Australia. You know, so right, oh, I really right. just wanted to be around. Around, I wanted to get it, get it, get involved in the scene somehow and see if you know when we come over, we thought we didn't have any commitments in Australia at the time. Let's mm-hmm. let's come here and, and see if I can pick up a gig with someone in Austin and then see what that leads to and if we can break into some sort of scene and stay for a couple of years. Yeah, then that and would be great. And it's it's nearly been twenty years. That's awesome. Years. I mean, that's a, that's a huge decision. I mean, that's 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 a huge difference between somebody saying I'm going to go from Michigan to Nashville. You're you're talking about leaving yeah, a oh, country sure, sure. that's nearly a day <laughs> away by jet. <laughs> that's true. That's <laughs> you know? true. Um, no, it was a big decision, but it didn't seem like it as much. And I think part of the reason thinking back now on it is that um. You know, we—I I, wasn't—I wasn't a you know sixteen-year-old kid that that, that, that I, I toured a bit. You know, I, been, I went on the road when I was sixteen. I've been on the road since, and I I toured in in, in Australia uh, extensively at, at sort of the highest, some of the highest level. You know, mm-hmm. in in country bands and stuff. So so I'd experienced, I'd had some life experience, and I'd had some musical experience and touring experience, and and I knew, it, you know, I mean, it wasn't just like, hey, I'm just going to go to America and see. I I'd done some things and thought. Well, both of us had my wife and I, and mm-hmm. we thought, well, you know, we're we're young enough, but we're also, I think, we've had enough experience to know that we can go and handle this, and we'll see how it goes for a while. But, sure. So that's how that sort of went about, you know. Had but you, yeah, it was a big move. Had you traveled to the United States before that? I had one. Um, well, actually, twice. I come over with mum and dad when we were about ten, when I was ten years old, um, and they just took us to 
bunch of places, San Francisco and Denver and Nashville. It was just visiting, mm-hmm. you know, just a holiday. And then I went to South Plains College out there at West Texas. I did I did two semesters out there oh, in cool. uh, 95 and 96. And I mean, that was the biggest, that was the biggest jump learning curve wise I'd had in my life up to that point, because, you know, I'd, I'd never really been around anyone my age that, that played the music. It was always my dad's friends and there's a couple of kids here and there, but it wasn't really. So, so all of a sudden I find myself in West Texas there and it's just a school full of these young kids just playing the fire out of whatever they got. You know, I just, that's like the first time I heard, you know, um, well, we were talking about, I, I enjoyed listening to Alan Bybee mm-hmm. um, chat with you. And that was the first time I heard Alan with Third Time Out. And it was the first time I'd really kind of starting to get exposed to, to sort of more of a modern mandolin player as opposed to just listening to um, the old, the old classic first generation records, you know, it was it was my first exposure to people like like that, like like Alan Bardi, Wayne Benson. progressive players it really just caught my ear you know right um, i really loved alan's playing I, I i really feel i can hear like a country guitar playing uh thing in there which is something i'm drawn uh, very heavily to cool um so yeah i remember hearing hearing him in third time out and that was a big big moment for me as well that's awesome so you you come over from australia you, you land in texas and did did you start playing music right out right from the get-go from there yeah, pretty much. We came over about a month before my school semester started and we uh, stayed with friends in California and then Dad took me to a festival in Arizona that he found. I don't know how the hell he found it, but we ended up in Prescott, Arizona and it was great because Nickel Creek were there. Oh, wow. I never heard of them and they were, like Chris was 14, I think, at the time. <laughs> um, and uh, it was they were coming in that night. I remember the first night jamming around the campfire with these people and they're like, oh, you got to meet this, you got to meet Chris, you know. Um, this, this is an amazing man in play. He just won Winfield. I think he just won Winfield the year before or something, um, the national championship. And I, and I instantly knew this, this guy is going to be amazing. I didn't know this, this guy was going to be 14 years old and the best man in play on the planet. You know? <laughs> So I was down around that night, and this little kid comes up. I'll never forget it, man. I was this campfire. This was just so, so classic, man. Just playing around this campfire, jamming with my dad and some people that we'd met, just playing some tunes. And this little kid comes up. He's, he's only up to about my chest, you know. And he starts chopping, and I'm like, man, this kid's laying down that chop, man. Listen to that. Wow, it's great. And then he takes a solo, and I'd never heard anything like it. Like really, never heard anything like it. I'd never heard someone play that progressive and that clean and just have everything I've ever could ever imagine. And I was like, all oh, right. And then afterwards I said, you must be Chris. <laughs> I didn't know you were a kid. And then I saw them play. And then, you know, and then of course a year later, his first record came out and, and, uh, and the agony continues, you know, <laughs> no, it's great. It's, it's great. It's, um, it's, it's inspiring to listen to, to I mean, Chris Steele play the manly, of course, you know, it's just, everything's there. That's so great. I could just envision this. It's like little kid yeah. wandering up while you're sitting at a campfire. <laughs> oh, totally. 
I mean, he was a little—he was a—he was a little portly fella then as well. You know? <laughs> right. yeah. And he was just laying it down, man. I mean, as, as, as you can imagine, he's—it was just incredible. So that was the first time I'd ever seen anyone really play a mandolin that was obviously of of a, of a world standard, you know. Because right. I'd only sort of seen people back home to sort of play fiddle tunes, and there were some decent players, but this was just like. I didn't know anything this kid was doing. It was amazing. I learned a lot that night just watching him. A few hours just playing, I, I picked up things that I'm still using today. Yeah, know, what are, what are some of those things? Of, do, you re, do you recall any of those things? I, I remember, yeah, absolutely. I remember the way he was, I mean, like sliding and things, just sliding between double stops or just, sim, just simple notes. Um, uh, I remember his use of arpeggios, which I'd never ever seen anyone use an arpeggio. You know, I hadn't really dove in that heavy here. Mm-hmm. And I, I, was, I, I saw you know, oh wow, that's a great move, and how you get from here to here, and um, and just being fearless, really. You know, that was the thing I got out of it. It's like, wow, man, this kid's just got. I mean, obviously he's incredibly well grounded and and knows the instrument backwards, but it's just fearless. It's just someone that just you're in a jam session, man. Go for it. You know, don't be yeah. afraid. Just right. go for it. So yeah, um, I just remember him moving of just some double stop things that he was doing, and the and finding a couple of double stops that he was doing and things like that. But uh, just looking at the right hand, because my right hand, I'm going to say my right hand now was even close, but it was it was just like a joke compared to this kid's right hand, you know. Um, <laughs> I remember getting that DVD, um, his instructional DVD, and still to this day, I barely un- be unable to unpack all the information that this, again, little, this kid yeah had amassed already and this i don't even know how old that dvd is as i mean geez. yeah I mean, surely he surely he wasn't but 19 or 20 when he when he made that or something yeah like i don't that, even but, think he was that um, i think he was probably still like 16 ish or yeah something. yeah you, you, you're probably you're probably right dan he, he, he was, <laughs> it's amazing but yeah you could look at that thing forever and pick up things you know yeah yeah that's, for sure that's how it's going to be but yeah so that was my first that was my first time of seeing anyone play you know of a standard that was obvious obviously greatness to me you know I was like mm-hmm. wow that's that's legit right there I'd never heard anyone so then I went I, you know months later I'm, I'm finding myself at South Plains College playing with a bunch of kids um and I was out there for a year uh Joe Carr was my one-on-one teacher uh, Alan Mundy was out there cool yeah um and that was great that you know except Joe one time had had to tell me like halfway through the year I gotta teach you something other than a Sam Bush break, man. <laughs> he was like, I was just like, teach me this one, you know, teach me this one, you know, teach me this one. So he was, Joe was really, Joe was a good eye opener. So like, you got to go back and you got to understand the tradition, you know, mm-hmm. which is so true. It's yeah. so true. You know, you don't have to. You know, it's like if you're playing rock and roll guitar, man, and you don't you don't understand Chuck Berry, you're missing something. Right. You know, right. it's the same with bluegrass mandolin. You, you've got to understand the Monroe style and and the rhythms of it. You don't have to play that style or want to play that style but i think it's imperative that you that you understand it and you stay you listen listen to it you know Uh, yeah um, i agree and again i've said before on the podcast i really think you can tell the people who have foundations who've gone back and listened to it to players who haven't maybe spent any time really listening to it or studying it i think there's just a difference in feel for sure that it's you, you can pick up pretty easily it's good to it's good to go back and listen to some things like that even if it's not exactly what you want to do like you know, maybe it maybe isn't the most melodic playing or, or um, the style that you want to play, but the feel is there and it's undeniable and you can't get away without that. you just got you just got to have that. Gotta, and I'm as guilty as anyone of that too. I find myself going back um, now to listen to things. Of, you know, play, I'll often play a show and I would have tried something the night before that 
of uh, mixed success, let's say. So <laughs> go back the next day and, uh, you know, listen to Jesse McReynolds' cross pick and, and, and see see what's going on there. You know, you, you just it, it's, it's important. It's important to have that foundation. Absolutely. So when did you start? Was the Green Cards kind of like the first band that you did after, after, after moving here? Or did you kind of bounce yeah, around between it, some other things? Or? Um, it, it was certainly the first band that that I had any ownership in that was 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 you know that that was material wise or direction wise mm-hmm. or anything. I, I'd moved over here. I played with a guy called Rodney Hayden. He's a honky tonk singer out of Texas, and I was playing Telecaster. And that actually that was another big part. If I could just go back again slightly, yeah, yeah. I was playing in, in Australia. I was playing you know like Telecaster in, in these top forty country bands, you know, um, because that's where the money was. And I remember finishing the touring this was just before we decided to move over here and i hadn't even played i had a gilchrist mandolin somewhere in the music room underneath all these you know uh, these guitar cases and i'm like this is ridiculous you know i I kind of like the mandolin i want to be a mandolin player i don't even barely know where my mandolin is so that was a big thing too was just it was like it's just not so it's not soothing the soul you know i know there's more out there i want to i i don't want to have the regret of just not taking the chance you know so yeah so that's that was a big part of coming over. So yeah, um, the green cards, yeah, that that was that was pretty quick. We, we, I think we'd only been here a year, and it was just out of wanting to again wanting to play the mandolin and wanting to play some acoustic music. That I <laughs> I went to an Irish pub in Austin, a place called Mother Regan's. It's no longer there, unfortunately. But I went down there and I said, you, you, I got a bluegrass band. Would you consider having some bluegrass music in here? And the guys like. You know what? That would actually be pretty good. We we're, were thinking of doing some music on a Sunday, like noon till three. Uh-huh. Um, have Have you got any recorded music? And I was like, Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. I'll bring you something. Oh man, we didn't we didn't have we didn't even have a band, let alone any <laughs> recorded music. So uh, so apologies out there to Ricky Skaggs, but I just put a couple of Kentucky Thunder tracks on a cassette tape and dropped them off to the to the guy. You know, because, uh, <laughs> oh my god, that one, is hilarious. <laughs> Number one, I knew he'd say, "Oh yeah, I want that." And number two, I was like, I knew that we had a good assembly of uh, you know of musicians around that we may not have been Kentucky Thunder by any means, but sure. I knew we weren't going to embarrass him. We were going to be able to go put on some good bluegrass music. So, so he yeah he he straight away said, "Oh, this sounds great. Yeah, come in." So, so that's that's how the Green Cards got their start. We played the Irish pub on a on a Sunday, and then we got another gig at, at an Irish pub on a Sunday night. So, so we ended up having two gigs on a Sunday. Um, and sometimes we'd, we'd have a th- third gig in there on a Sunday too. So we'd be like 12 till three and then we'd drive down to green Texas and play five till eight. And then we'd come back and do like 11, 11 till one. So, um, that's how the green cards got their start. So it was, a, <laughs> it was a good, it was a good grounding. Yeah, that's great. And then did you guys, then you moved to Nashville from Austin or did everything kind of happen for you in Austin with the green cards? Uh, yeah, no, the N- Nashville move was pretty significant. That mm-hmm. was right just before we, we moved to Nashville um, because we'd just we'd started to attract some interest from record labels, and we got a booking agent and management. So we moved to Nashville, and then that's a month, just a couple of months later, is when that Bob Dylan tour came in. So it was a really good start. Um, oh wow, that's awesome! And uh, yeah, being in being in Nashville was being in Nashville was good. It was a it was a necessity, I think. You know, um, just to being around the scene, getting around all those great players and stuff. Um, I, I struggled a bit in Nashville. We were there for five or six years. I just there was great, lots of great jam sessions and things, which I always enjoyed. But it wasn't. I found it really difficult just to pick up gigs, you know, just to go and play when I was off the road from the green cards. Oh yeah, probably because there's probably because there's so many great players there. But you know, it wasn't a lot of that. And back in Texas now, in Austin at the moment, especially the last couple of years, man, it's been a boom of of grassy gigs. I mean, every 
every pizza place, every um, every beer garden wants a bluegrass band. So we're doing, man, we do three, four, five gigs a week sometimes just just at home when I'm off the road. It's great. That's Fantastic. awesome. Did you, did you do the, the album Moving On? Was that before your Nashville move? Yeah, Moving On was the first record. We, we actually recorded all of our records in Nashville, even when we were living in Nashville. That was the place we really wanted to record our music. The great engineers and uh, the options of great players. If we wanted someone else to come in, so yeah, we made that with David Cinco. Uh, David, who's you know been doing front of house with the Punch Brothers for the last uh, many many years, yeah. an incredible engineer. We recorded with David, and uh, it was pretty cool because I got Pat Flynn to come in and play guitar. Oh, um, wow. Being a newgrass freak, you know, I was yeah. like, who should we get to play guitar? And you know, the big the bands that helped mold the Green Cards were. Pretty much. I mean, Newgrass was huge, especially from my perspective. I always had that in my mind. I wanted to have a, a Newgrass revival directive with the group. I wanted to be, you know, really, really prog- on the progressive edge of whatever we were doing. And then, um, you know, Alison, Alison Krauss, my wife, being a, a, you know, a pretty singer, and in that in that sort of style, the Alison Krauss ballads and the, and the, I mean, just the, the tenderness, the space that they played with. Yeah, um, they were sort of the two real big things that fueled the fueled the green cards. I literally remember the first time I heard you heard you playing, which I can't say that probably about every mandolin player I've ever had. But I worked for um, Barnes and Noble at the time. And oh this, wow, wow, yeah. The long and this is this would have been probably two thousand four, and they used to have these little machines at the end of the music section where you could. Um, like you could listen to like you could listen to Nickel Creek and then like thirty seconds of it, and then it would recommend some other albums. And one of the albums it recommended was the Green Cards, and I'll never forget here in the beginning of Jolly Hockey Sticks, and oh, I was yeah. like, "Oh, who is this guy?" Cool, I've been a fan since then, so right off the right at the get go, and um, oh well, that's thanks. Man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, that, man. man. Um, yeah. I think, God, it's been a long time. I haven't thought of that track for a long time, but I think we started it with like a sort of an old timey, out of phase sort of scratchy record. Yeah, thing, it sounds like a record at first. Yeah, because at right, first I was right. kind of like, "What is this?" And then it comes in with the mandolin. I'm like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> yeah, the, that's right. We just had some old choppy sort of swing fiddle thing, and the guitar, and then the mando came in. That's right. I hadn't thought about that, but. A long time. It's funny because I remember once we'd recorded that record and we came back to Austin and we had a lot of friends that were in the in the scene there and, and there were people coming up to us saying, man, that start to that record's badass. You know, that's really cool. So I was like, all right, wow, people have actually heard it. That's cool, man. It was a, good, it was, it was a great time. I mean, just making music. Because I'd never been in the studio before. I'd gone in and played a track or two in Australia. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So this was us going in and 
you know, like getting real sound. I remember hearing the sound of the instrument in the headphones for the first time of someone that actually really knew what they were doing, you know. It's like, well, this sounds great. Man, exciting, really exciting. I still get thrills about it, thinking about it now, going into, you know, a big-time recording studio in Nashville, and we're going to make a record here. It was, it was great, That's great awesome. time. It's so exciting. It's interesting you say that about really knowing is. somebody who knows how to dial in, like, an instrument because totally. so many people think like, oh man, it's just acoustic instruments, so easy to mic. I'm like, oh, you have, you are out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, you're crazy, man. <laughs> How many live gigs have you been to? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not easy things to do at all. Oh my no, god, it was cool. Yeah. yeah, so just learning as you go. You know, I think it's the way that we all do it, really. Mm -hmm. um, but this was, um, yeah, it was, it was a hugely exciting time. I couldn't. It's great every day. It's so exciting to get into the studio. And, play mandolins for some crazy expensive old German microphone with a great world-class engineer, you know, it was, yeah. it was awesome. Did you find yeah, you had really to, cool. uh, did you have to adjust any of your playing style in the studio that from, from playing live? Was there any big aha moment mm. for you with tracking? Um, other than just hearing myself back and going, Oh boy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was the aha moment. <laughs> you know? No, I, I that's a good question. Um, well, one thing I've always got to be aware of is my breathing. Like, because I play, you know, I sort of you know, hunch over when you play, especially when you're into a microphone sitting in a chair. And my breathing's just crazy, man. I, <laughs> I, I find myself breathing all the time. When I made my, my solo record um, and I was recording all these instruments, uh, ukuleles and bazookis and things, man, I, I, I would have like scarves wrapped around my face and beanies on, holding the, <laughs> holding the scarves into place. And, you know, it's like we sweating under there, you know, just trying to keep the breathing down. So, yeah, there's some techniques. And, and, and also, I think you just find, you know, things that just don't, that just don't work. You know, they might work in a live situation, particularly when you play with a pickup, which, is, which I do mm -hmm. in a live situation almost exclusively. There are things that just don't, that just, it just doesn't have the same tone. It just doesn't have the same texture. Um, when you just sit there in front of a microphone, so yeah, you do you do things that you do find things that like oh well, I'm playing a little bit hard, you know, or this vibrato that that, that as soft as I'm playing this vibrato, it's really not coming through, you know, like so there's, there's there is there's certain things that you do find. Um, I can't think of anything really technique wise that that I thought oh god man, what you you know this is this is really not going to work. But, <laughs> sure, um, sure. You know, but although in saying that, I I used to play with my hand braced like Sam, and and I hadn't seen him play, I just naturally went to that for some reason of just bracing with my with on my right hand my pinky and my third finger on the top on the soundboard you know and that was just naturally doing that mm -hmm. um and then i saw sam and i was like hell yeah man i got this right you know <laughs> down you know but then i found it became it it, it became um uh, I, I, it was really restrictive i got to a point in my playing where it was ultra restrictive sure. for me um and i had to i just i had to reteach myself that was when i moved over here in 2001 you talk about that fairly uh dvd when chris released that great dvd instructional dvd um that 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 really helped me because i was like man i just, I just got all this wrong you know this is just, this is not working for me anymore i could really feel myself being restricted and i hadn't up to that point in my time mm -hmm. um i guess i was maybe improving in some areas but this was holding me back so it was a it was a case of sort of going backwards and it was a year it was a tough year i remember it like uh, you know still trying to cross back into that old habit, but I really was adamant and keen to, to get away from that. Yeah. Uh, how, you, the right hand thing. How'd you approach that changing that? Well, um, I just, I just remember just <laughs> going back to basics, just picking a couple of tunes and building them up mm -hmm. slowly with that and just playing, um, like, just, you know, just grabbing the instrument and just like 
my first thing to do is I'm not really, I don't grab an instrument in the morning and start playing scales. I just sort of try and make a pretty tone and a pleasant sound and something, you know, that's the first thing, the way I try and get started playing is just having it being pleasant and something that I'm enjoying, um, not necessarily working on a technique thing straight away. Mm -hmm. So um, it was just sort of doing that, but with this new right hand situation and just trying to gradually build the speed up. And then eventually it took a while, but I felt like I'd surpassed where I was with, with the other technique and, uh, and then just still working on it, still working on it now. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you put out six albums with yep. the, uh, with the green cards. Yep. And then how do you, how do you decide? Well, it's time to, time to try something else here. As in, leave that behind and yeah, move on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, it was it was it was tough um, because it's 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 not just like leaving a band. You know, it's it's, it's your thing. Yeah, it's putting a stop to something that's yours. And it was our whole life for about fifteen years. It was it was my wife Carol and my baby. You know, for fifteen years we controlled this thing. It was it was our music. Uh, we we decided every note, every everything we played on those records, every song. Um, we did have some outside help in in the last latter stages with producers and so forth, but mm -hmm. you know, for the most part, it was we played where we wanted to play and who, and with whom and so forth. So it was it had just got to the point. Um, probably being honestly about it, it was I don't think we were quite the flavor of the month anymore. You know, it's, it's, every year, man, there's good new bands coming out and 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 they're releasing new records, and you don't release a record every year, and there's something else, and there's these festivals, and there's only so many spots you can get on. Um, so we always said that, you know, we didn't want it just to sort of go around and just do the same circuit every year sure. um, once it got to that point. And, and after 14, 15 years, I mean, it was as much as ready for a change as anything, you know, it really was. Right, um, right. And, and being the artist is a stressful thing. You know, you don't switch off, man. When you're the artist, you don't you don't go to sleep at night and switch off and wake up the next morning. You're thinking about something all night. <laughs> right, right. There's something going on. There's something. There's a, whether it's ticket sales for the next show or something that you got a decision you got to make with your management or booking or whatever. There's always something. You know, being a side person, man. You come in, you you learn your material well. You have a, you do your best. You have a great show and, and you switch off for the night. But man, when you're the artist, you don't get that. You don't have that luxury. Right. And and it can weigh you, and it can weigh you down. Um, so it was just a. We just felt it was time to sort of step away, we, and we never have ever said that that's it. You know, mm -hmm. who knows? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what might happen in the future, but it sure. was always a case of of that, and it was perfect because a month after that, Robert called me and said, "I'm making this bluegrass record. Do you want to come in and make it?" So the timing just worked out amazingly well. I didn't have to sit around for a year extra broke, wondering how on earth I'm going to get another gig. You know, <laughs> right, right. I do want to real quick touch. I have this jotted down because of um, you're one of the. Uh, the elusive group of Grammy nominees um, for the song Mucky the Duck. to the Grammys? I did. Um, we've been fortunate. We've been nominated three times with the green cards. Oh, and I've have gone you every really? Time. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I can't remember which is the first one. Mucky the Duck is an instrumental piece that I wrote that was on the last track on one of our records. And then, 
And then um, that, I named that after this listening room in Houston called the Mucky Duck, which I still play to this day. It's a great room. Um, so, we, 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 yeah, we got that and got this, got this Grammy nomination for it. You know, I remember that phone call. I was just in disbelief. I was like, what do you mean we got a Grammy nomination? What for? You know, like, what What are we in? What category? And it was like country instrumental. And I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's great. And we're, of course, you know, we're up against, I think we're up against like, uh, you know, a, a sort of a, a few other people in our genre and then, you know, Brad Paisley. You know? And then the next time we're up against some people in our genre and then it was like Steve Warren, you know, guys that have had epic hits and, and are great players and artists. So, you know, and then the last one, um, which was which was for a folk album, which is really the one I'm most proud of to get a whole body of work in there. Um, and Guy and Guy Clark won that <laughs> year, so that was great. I mean, it's fine. It's great. You know, it's just an honour to be nominated because it was. It really is. You know, and going is a hoot, man. It's just it's just so much fun going out to there and going to the nominees parties and seeing a few famous people and just I don't know, just sort of celebrating the fact that you had a little victory this year. You know, the people people figured your music was all right so that's that's the thing that was the thing that blew me away the most about it was because i knew a lot, i i with my time of being in the scene over here and I, I knew a lot of the people that were involved in those sort of decision making or i knew the caliber of people i should say that were involved in decision making for awards like that so to have those people give you a bit of a nod and say yeah this deserves to be recognized that was the that was the thing that was so good about it yeah and and the fact that it was our little project, you know, so Absolutely. yeah, amazing. Still feels still great. Yeah, it's so cool. So you go and do a do a Happy Prisoner is the is the album, the Bluegrass Sessionals yes. sessions with Robert Earl. Yeah. Did he give you yeah. a list of the tunes ahead of time for prepping or anything, or did you kind of go in the uh, studio? Nah, not really. Mm-hmm. He just said he just said they're gonna be it's gonna be old Roberts. Yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> it's all traditional stuff. You would have heard them all. And he was right. I heard them all. I don't know if I was fine, but um, you know, I still still got to have have the pressure of coming up with something, you know. Yeah. And it was it was actually really extra added pressure because Robert's band's a great band, but we also had, like I said, we had Sarah Watkins and Danny Barnes, I mean, two phenomenal players who were going to get it right straight away. You know? <laughs> yeah. they, I knew they were going to play cool shit straight away, man. I knew that. <laughs> like, so you better come up with something here. So that was that was fun to be pushed like that as well. And I'm, I'm sure that's, you know, most people's experience in the studio when they have their friends who are such great players all around them, bringing people in. Yeah, that's, that's what you get great players around you for, you know? Put right. people on your toes. Yeah, exactly. If you can come up with something at that time. As did, well, did you know. guys track it live? Yeah, it was all track live. Yeah, cool. yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it. Yeah, the, record, the recording sounds real, real cohesive. We were all in the same room, really. We had, I think, we had the fiddle isolated just in within the room, but everyone was just in the same room playing. And um, yeah, it's fun. I mean, I just love it. I love being in the studio. It's yeah, such a great vibe. It's so much fun. Of it. what could be more fun than just sitting there making music, you know? And then <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day, you've got this finished track. It's, Brilliant. Yeah, I love your uh, I love your uh, take of Walls of Time. That one's a that one's a great version, man.
Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, that was getting a bit wild on that one, I seem to remember. You know, Robert's like, man, just play something a little wild on this one. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was yeah. great fun, you know. It's cool. It's there. It's recorded. What can you do about it? You know, it's done. <laughs> it's yeah. like, move on. Yeah, that's great, man. And so, and then now you're doing the um, you're doing some shows. You call it the Acoustic World Tour. I'd love to talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, I've been wanting to do solo shows for a while, like as in just just me standing up there with with whatever instrument. So I play a few instruments. So um, I've been wanting to do it. I've, I've I've seen some people get up there on their own and play. You know, my one of my heroes is the, is the great Tommy Emmanuel, the great guitar player from oh, Australia, who's so one guy, one guitar, one instrument up there. It's in, it's insane. I'm like, man, you know, I said, I got to, I got to try and do that. I, I'm not saying I'm going to be able to pull it off. I'm not ever going to be as good as Tommy or whatever, but I got to try and do that. I've got to see if I can get up there and just be me yeah. with whatever instruments and put on a show. So, man, I worked on it for a long time. I've worked on it for a good couple of years of just, finding material and, and, and things that I think are interesting. And yeah, I've been doing these shows where I normally play like a set on my own, you know, 45, 50 minute set of material from my solo record or just whatever, any pieces, you know, you know all sorts of stuff. And I, I call it the acoustic world tour because I, I do play stuff from all over the globe, you know, Brazilian, got a couple of shores in there, and, nice. you know, maybe a, a tune from France and then, and then a couple of classical pieces that I've struggled to work on for a couple of years. <laughs> and, and then you've got bluegrass stuff and then an Australian song and, um, and uh, this great artist that I love called uh, Gustavo Santaolala, who's the guy from Argentina, plays this beautiful instrument called a ronroco, which is not dissimilar to a ukulele in its tone, but it's got a crazy number of strings. And anyway, he writes these beautiful, simple melodies, beautiful soundtrack type things. Um, so I play some pieces inspired by him that I've written and, and all sorts of stuff. And yeah, it's really fun to do it. People have been digging it. They think oh, it's, it's an interesting take on on world music, you know, and, and then in the second set, I would have someone from around town, whether it be, you know, a great fiddler friend of mine or, 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 or guitar player or whatever else, you know, get a guy who plays accordion and trumpet and come in one time and play. So it's, it's, it's great fun. It's really keep, keeps me on my toes because I have to work so hard <laughs> to prepare for that show, you know, yeah. because it's, um, I end up playing a couple of hours and it's a lot, most of it's on my own. So that's a concentration thing that I haven't had to do before. And it's a, a physical thing that I haven't had to do before, just like holding down everything for that amount of time is um, a big challenge. So that's sort of been my challenge to myself the last couple of years of, of being able to try and uh, put that show on. So that's, I love it. That's great. And, and, great and Tommy, Tommy Emmanuel also has the, uh, you know, s sustain <laughs> to, to have like our instruments. Well, that's our right. Instruments do not that's have right. that natural well, no, it's, it's such a great point. I think it's what, it's what's drawn me to electric guitar players so much and and I've tried to emulate electric guitar players with my style a lot. But it's not always easy because you talk about that sustain. If you're, you know, if you're playing, um, you, know, you know, six white horses or something flat out, you know, whatever, just it, 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 you can't be holding no note on the man. <laughs> you right, know, you've, right. got, you've got a banjo and a bass and a fiddle roaring past you, you know, if you're just going to try and hold hold a one note for, for a few measures, yeah, it's difficult, a little bit difficult. I'm, I'm envious of that sustain. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Tommy Emanuel, I'm not, I'm not saying Tommy Emanuel couldn't do it with, he, Tommy Emanuel's so oh, talented, yeah. he could probably do it with a one string you know, oh, totally. uh, that guy on the internet with the shovel that plays a song or whatever. Tommy Mando would probably do a solo show with that thing, but <laughs> yeah, guitar and yeah. guitar and mandolin couldn't be any further apart from Sonic. Oh, that's, Sonic. that's you're right. You're right. Yeah, we, we we struggle a little bit there. I guess that's when sort of how the vibrato playing must have probably came in initially is to carry those notes yeah. across those measures. You know, 
you know, so um, which is something that I don't really do a lot of. It's not been part of the style. My, looking at the vibrato style thing, I, I always really liked um, the way that Adam Steffi approached his vibrato, which is probably about half speed of the normal vibrato, if you know what I mean. Or the tr- tremolo? Um, or know, tremolo or vibrato? Yeah, yeah. I, I call it vibrato, oh, but yeah, tremolo. Yeah, 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 sure. yeah, yeah no worries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you know, most guys are like, it's almost a double time. But right. Adam's always like, yeah, that, 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 sort of almost a half speed tremolo thing. Keeps it, 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 I've, uh, that, that, I was, I've sort of been more attracted to that. Um, and he would also use almost just like a single note vibrato from time to time as opposed to just a double stop. Right. Um, He's so good. That, you did a little, you did a short, some dates with him, right? I did. I did. I've, um, that's sort of one thing I have done over the last 10 years is to, I try to get in a, a, a tour, a house concert tour every year. Um, I tend to go to the East Coast because I've got a bunch of friends over there that have houses and they tend to want me to come and play. So I go and I've done some duo shows. You know, I had my buddy Ross Holmes play fiddle and my buddy Carl Miner out of Nashville play guitar with one, but I did get Adam to come out with me. I was like, how can I get some good, solid mandolin lesson time from Adam Steffi? Mm-hmm. Hey, Adam, you want to go on the road, man? You want to do some shows with me? And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. So it was a lot of audacity for me to ask Adam Steffi to come out and tour, you know, and do some shows. But he was all about it. We had fun. We did maybe five or four or five shows, I think, oh, wow. in, in and around sort of Virginia. And, um, yeah, and um, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, Adam's been one of my – like I said, when I first heard him play with Alison, that the tone was the thing that was the first thing for me. It was like, man. That is just sublime. It sounds like a bell. Yeah, it's un- unbelievable. Fat tone, and and um, certainly was was the the first real influence for me on tone wise. Um, that was even more so than when I first heard Sam. I loved everything about Sam. It was great. But when Adam had that, that was something about that fatness of that tone, the clarity of it, the pureness of it. That and talk about tone tone in your hands. I mean, that guy has played a, he play a style, F style, he, different brands. You know who it is the minute you hear. Yeah, absolutely. I don't buy into the the instrument being the thing. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, instruments sound different, but Adam's going to sound the same on anything. You know, absolutely. I've heard him play any number of instruments. Same with Chris or Ronnie McCurry or any of those guys. I've seen him jam at a festival, and some kid comes up and hands Ronnie his his Kentucky mandolin that he bought last week for three hundred dollars. And uh, Ronnie McCurry sounds like he's playing his Gilchrist, you know, or his Law <laughs> yeah. or something. It's like that's that's the same, same with that any any uh, not not holding myself in the esteem of those guys, but any any of us players would have it's the same thing. I don't think I sound any different if I'm playing an F five or a or a two point, you know, or whatever. I think the round hole versus the F makes so much more difference tonally. You oh, know, yeah. not the shape of the instrument as much, I wouldn't think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And before we get into gear, because you have some gear, I'd love to pick your yeah. brain about it too. But um, I do sure. want to say you talked about the um, the Argentinian musician that you love and you called him yeah. very soundtracky. I, your album that you put out in 2015, Everything That Brought Me Here, is really, really excellent. soundtracky sounding anybody who wants to uh that's a great album to listen to if you uh have a car ride or it's something where you just need some beautiful music to uh pass some time your album your album does the trick 
Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yes, that was very much the the theme of the record, and and Gustavo Santolala was was probably the main impetus in me biting the bullet and saying I'm just gonna, I'm going to start trying to record some of these pieces um, because uh, yeah, I, I I thought there was enough great mandolin records in the world at the time you know, <laughs> sure. and too many better players than me out there recording <laughs> great mandolin music that I thought that what I might have to offer is is slightly different and um, playing playing various instruments and pieces that I've written. It comes more naturally to me or something I've really worked on is just trying to write um, uh, more simpler, simpler melodies, I guess, um, as opposed to just, you know, ripping fast stuff, which is, which is great and difficult to write as well. But this album was certainly more of a, um, yeah, more of a mood sort of thematical record of pieces that I've written that, that sort of I would just think that I would like to put on and listen to while I'm having a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or something, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it was um, it was really fun to do it. I, did, I really kind of recorded all all of that on my own. I, that was another reason I wanted to do it was just to, to sort of get in this modern world of, of recording some stuff and sending an email to some friends in different parts of the world and getting them to send them back to me and, and try and complete a record, you know. So, so that, was, uh, that was a great part of that experiment as well. No, I'm 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 really proud of it. I worked it. It came out probably better than I thought because I really didn't think I was going to be able to pull it off recording it all myself. But it worked out really good, and um, it's it's nice to have that, and um, and it's great to sort of have a selection of things that are mainly my pieces that I'm able to, um, you know, to go and perform in front of people. Yeah, well, it's a beauty, uh, man. You, you, you should definitely be proud of it. <laughs> well, thanks, Dan. Absolutely, it, mate. Yeah, you bet. So what? Uh, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about your gear. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, go ahead and start well, with your main axe. We, yeah, well, my main man, you know, I've actually kind of, I've, I've kind of switched mandolins the last couple of years. I'm still playing these Collings A mandolins, which I, I, I love them. They just, I think they just really even. They make really even instruments. I like the tone. I like the the bell like quality out of them, and I really like the top end in the Collings mm-hmm. uh, A model mandolins. I think it's a really pretty top end. Um, I've got a Gilchrist that I've had for 25 years that. Um, I used to play, and and it's a great mandolin, but it's just too dry for me. No kidding. Funny, I was, um, who who were you talking to? I think it was Jared Jared Walker that was talking about. Yeah. He found a new mandolin that was dry. He wanted that dry, <laughs> boxy tone, you know. And that's right. cool. That's each to their own. For me, I'm a dead man when I get on something like that because I don't play hard. And I try. We talk about sustain. I like to sort of let it ring a little bit mm-hmm. and sort of be able to sort of vibrato with the left hand to get some notes hanging on a little bit and play with the sort of space. So I need a little bit of help with that. But the Gilchrist was just was. I find it too dry. It's a great Hossie driving bluegrass mandolin, man. It just crushes. But yeah. um, is that A style or F until... style? No, it's a, it's an A style mm-hmm. as well. It's, um, it's it's got X bracing on that Gilchrist. Um, Joe Carr had the same mandolin when I was at um, South Plains College, and I had a mandolin that my friend had made back home. It was a nice mandolin, but um, I wanted to get a Gilchrist. And I was talking to my parents about it. I was I was about to turn 21, and they said, well, "We'll get you one for your we'll get you one for your birth, 21st birthday, but we can't afford an F." And I was like, "That's fine. The A will be fine. I'll get an F one day." But you know, I've just fallen in love with the A's, and it's the the weight of the A model, the feel of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's sort of the weight in the left hand that, that, that the F has more of that I just I just can't get used to now. Sure, know, that's too far. And A's, I like them. I like the look of them. Uh, you know, Tim O'Brien plays an A model. They're cheaper. I mean, there's a <laughs> yeah. lot, lot going for it, you know. Absolutely. You can afford more of them. What's wrong? What's wrong not to like? <laughs> but um, so <laughs> so with my um, – so I've got these uh, – the Collins call them the MT 
NT2s. Both of mine are varnished. I got a blonde top one recently mm. that I've that's become my main mandolin touring with Robert because it just sounds so good through the pickup system. I thought my other one sounded great. This one just beats it, so I just sort of go on with it. And, um, and I've, I've been using these Shirtler, the 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 DYN dash M that that yeah. pickup that sticks on for for years. When I, I first when I saw I saw Chris play with Nickel Creek at a festival that we were at, and um, it sounded ridiculous. You know, I mean, admittedly, like you clearly get a good sound out of a toothbrush, you know, but <laughs> um, but this thing sounded like just so much like a mandolin. You know, yeah. it's like what is going on? And I was talking to him about it afterwards. Shirtless things, man. They just stick on, and so I went and bought one of them, and that was yeah, that really had a huge effect on me. Um, sure. It really helped my playing, being able to get a really nice tone plugged in because uh, I, I like to play soft. I like to play soft with the right hand, and it enables me to do that. Um, and I don't like to stand still, man. I can't stand up against the microphone. I just can't do it. Oh, I can't either. I've never right. been able to do it. Yeah, I, I, I would bang like into around. it. I would damage mics and the top of my mandolin in in a three oh. hour set. I would be. It would be a nightmare <laughs> oh yeah i've got a scratch on, on the gilchrist right where the pick card would have been uh, perfect size of a sm57 mic from the first gig i did it's a scratch first time man she took all that varnish off the first gig i've played it was like god but i just i i kind of i just sort of like to move around and just sort of sway with the music a bit when i'm playing to sort of feel it i don't like to be rigid standing in front of a mic i'm just like stopping and being i can't do it yeah, it's different if you're sitting down in a chair or something in the studio, maybe, or in a in a workshop situation. But standing up, and then I don't play loud. I don't play hard enough, and then I try and play hard. You know, it's like that'd be one of the things I, you know, you're talking about young players or something coming through, and just being aware of your technique, what works for you, and don't go away from it. I, I find because I'm a light player, like sometimes I'm like at IVMA or something, you get in a jam and it starts out great. You got five or six of you there. And then, but then when, then when you have 15 of you, you know, (laughs) so loud and then everything goes out the window, you know, you start playing harder, beating the crap out of it. Tone goes out the window. You're not pulling off anything you're doing. It's just not, it's, it's a detriment to you. I find. So I sort of walk away from those situations. I'll (laughs) I'll move on to the next one. I'll start another small jam. until that gets too big, you know, (laughs) And you play a few different things. You have a you have some octaves or and oh yeah yeah I do have a few things. Um, well, the mandolin rig. I, my main rig's the same. I, I run the shirtlet. I'm running. I've got this um, because I play a bunch of different instruments. I've got this. Um, it's a line six pod that I can just treat numerous different things going in and out. You know, so I can play the bazooki through the same line and the ukuleles and octave mandolins, mandola, whatever it is. Oh, cool. Guitar. Can still run it all through the same one line, but you can completely treat it. You know, I can have random EQs, multiple EQs, multiple reverbs or uh, compression or delays or whatever you would like um, on any particular instrument on any channel. You know, so so that that's been necessity. And then I run that into a, a Rupert Neve preamp, and that's what I've been using live for the last few years. It sounds great. Sounds really true. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So um, so it's been good. It's been very. Um, it's been consistent, which is something I struggled with for a long, long time. But yeah, and you're playing some I big places too, you know. So consistency Correct. is, uh, consistency it's, is uh, it's, super it's important. Every, it's everything, man. I can't tell you how frustrated I used to be. Well, you know, when I was back home in Australia, when I first moved here, and I didn't have any gear that really worked well, and it wasn't good quality gear. Man, it's so frustrating. You <laughs> can't play well, man. If you don't have that, you know, if you don't have an inspiring sound coming back at you, whether you're on stage sitting down at home playing in the studio, whatever, 
it doesn't really make you want to play. And when you have it, boy, it feels good. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever we can all do to, to get that right and just have, have a consistent setup that's the same every day that works really good for you. Sure. Um, you know, that's, it makes life a hell, of a, a hell of a lot easier. What do you do uh, for picks and strings? Well, um, strings, I've actually been, uh, I've been using these DR strings. Um, oh, yeah. I like that company a lot out of oh, New Jersey. No um, yeah, I've had friends that have used their guitar strings forever, and I always loved the sound of them. And then they recently started making some mandolin strings that were sort of more in the, the vein that I liked with the, with a coating, but it's a really light coating. And um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I've used like eleven to forty, but I, I've I've used a sixteen on my A string for ten, twelve years. Um, I, I've always liked sixteen on the A; it just makes it pop out a little more. Yeah. Again, um, for some reason, it suits. It suits what I, well, my playing. It suits the mandolin that I play. So, and I noticed like the um, like that Daddario set, the custom medium set, which is a great set. They have like an eleven and a half and a sixteen. Um, but the sixteen's always been something that um, I like. Robert's band is endorsed by Daddario, so we have Daddario strings as well. So they're, they're awesome as well. But yeah, I like those DR strings. I, I really, I really like them actually. They last a long time. They have great tone. Good, really good pop. They're not too brittle. Um, and picks. Um, I've been using these um, Dunlop prime tone picks. There's like a, I like the big triangle um, shape, and these just have this slight. It's got like a slight texture on it for your thumb, which is awesome. I like that. Uh, probably using like a 1.4. Um, I like those blue chip t- picks a lot as well. But I don't know how many times I've dropped one down a crack on a stage at some beer garden, man. It's just it's heartbreaking when you drop one of those things. Man. Yeah, no <laughs> you know? kidding. It's like, oh God, this set, this set just went to pay for that pick, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. So they're really, had, they're great. I was just say I play on docks every now and again down here in Charleston, and uh, I definitely have. Yeah. Um, although I switched, <laughs> I've, I've switched over to, I've been using the Dunlop flows ever since I did the interview with Matt Flinner. I checked the those, which one? The Dunlop um, flows, they're called. They're a little bit smaller. Mm. They're more like a like a traditional shape. But um, they're a little sure. bit thicker, and they've got like the thumb grips, and I've been using those, and I love them, yeah. man. That's good. Yeah, they make. I think the Dunlop picks pretty good. So, um, I've been yeah, I've been using those prime tones for a few years. They're good. They're not. They're not. You can buy twenty of them for sixteen dollars or something. So that's good. Um, but um, they're good. But I do like the blue chips. I kind of, if I'm playing bluegrass stuff, particularly if I'm, um, if it's in a jam situation, I'll probably drag out the blue chip because I think it does carry a little more. Mm-hmm. I think it's got a little more, a little more weight to them, and they, they 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 do they project incredibly well. So I like them, but yeah, there's too many bars around Austin that have got a whole swag of blue chips underneath <laughs> the deck, man. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're giving me giving me uh, just anxiety just thinking about dropping one right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's man. get to the uh, let's get to the ten minutes a day question. If you uh, oh sure yeah man, I'd love to know if you had ten minutes to uh, to work on something. What would you work on? Wow, um, I think just making the instrument sound nice, just having, a, just getting a pleasant tone, I think is the best thing. Because I think if something sounds pleasant to you, it's, it's inviting, it's exciting, it's going to bring you back. You know, there's technique things and whatever. I would, I would certainly, what I would do is I would just loosen my hands up a little bit. You know, like just shake your hands off, do some things just to, to give to be in a good position to start. You know, because sometimes it takes 10, 15 minutes to get your hands doing anything. But I would just loosen up a little bit and. Just play something that's pleasant to you, and just work on just work on tone and getting a nice sound out of the instrument. Whether it's a tune, you know, or just you know some phrasings between chord chord patterns or whatever else. I think just working on getting that getting the tone the best 
getting your right hand and your left hand talking well together. Um, yeah, I think I think just just getting a pleasant sound out of your instrument. I think what what's going to make you want to play more than that? You know, just just sitting down. Um, you know, if you're working on something, continue work on it and just just getting. I don't know, making making it making it sound pleasant. Making music, I guess. Making music to you know achieving that. If there's only ten minutes, only ten minutes. You know, make some music for ten minutes. Just just whatever it is, get a, something that's pleasant to you and makes you enjoy that time. You know. For sure, and have your mandolin now. Like what Mike Mike was saying, I I love Mike Marshall. I mean, hardly any any greater musician around than Mike Marshall. He's a beautiful beautiful player, and I, and I love that. I love that he just is so diverse. You know, Mike's a great study for any mandolin player. But but like Mike was saying, make, have a little area. You know, that's a great that's a great bit of advice. Have an area that you and have your mandolin out. You know, I, I have I have a, I'm lucky at home. I have got a music room, and I've got. Uh, I've got my instruments all over the walls. I've got them hanging up. I think I've got maybe 10 or 11 instruments hanging up all over the walls. And so you do just walk in. You look at it. You walk in and they go, oh, yeah, I haven't played that for a while. I'm going to play that. Um, as opposed to filtering through all these cases and then pulling one out and undoing it and getting your mandolin out. You know, it's like you just, just make it easy for yourself. Have it there. You know? yeah. so Forgetting think, you broke a string last time you used it and you're like, oh, I got a change of string. For oh, you. exactly right. Yeah, just shoved it back in the case. You know, open it up and the string sticks out at you. And you're like, ah, oh, forget it. Yeah, you know, for you know. I watch Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. What's on Netflix? Oh, yeah, The Mandalorian. I haven't seen that yet. You know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and that brings us that brings us to the beer. Uh, do you have a uh, oh yeah? Do you have a beer that you that you currently enjoy? Um, yeah, uh, I played a lot of breweries yeah. around town in Austin, so there's a lot of beers around. But I always tend to go for like a Hefeweizen or something. That's the type of beer that I like. Mm -hmm. um, um, it's, it's just a, I'm not a hoppy beer guy. You sure. Know? It's like a, like a, I guess, hoppy beer. You got to be more of a Monroe Thrasher man to dig, dig the hoppy beer. You know, you yeah. got to be able to deal with it. I'm too much of a wuss, man. I need the light. I need the Hefeweizen or the or a Stella or a Twire or something. That'll do me just nicely. You know. Yeah. Oh man, that's great. You, uh, one thing I noticed when um, last time I saw you with Robert is uh, the venue that he played uh, Charleston Music Hall here. He actually brought yeah. Shine, they brought Shiner Bach beer in for that show only. Oh, that's hilarious! That was amazing. Yeah, and then we get. That's funny. We uh, Robert's crowds are. Um, he's, they've been known to to hold some beer records at some various venues around the country. I think they still hold the beer for for the San Antonio Rodeo some twenty years later. You know, they drink some beer, and yeah, the, there's a lot of expat expat Texans that come out to our shows all over the country. So that's hilarious. I did not know they brought China in. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> That is pretty cool. Oh well, man, Kim, thank you so much for taking the time. You're in the middle of this, of this road thing, and and taking the time out of your your touring time to to talk mandolins and beer. I appreciate it. Oh man, my pleasure. Thank you for uh, for letting the mandolin, uh, you know, get a little more attention yeah. like it deserves. You know, yeah, absolutely, it's badass, man. It's great. <laughs> Thanks, man. Absolutely, Dan. Well, appreciate it, man. Keep keep up the good work, mate. And I'll uh, oh, I'll see you next time I'm out your way. Awesome. All right, thanks again to Kim Warner. Great guy, great accent. Um, again, I have a picture here on the website. If you go to mandolinsandbeer.com, I'll have a picture that has all the different donation places you can go to for the people in Australia who are going through those fires there. That's where Kim is from, and obviously it's a terrible situation over there. So if you feel so inclined, thanks to my sponsors, Mandolin Cafe, be sure to check out Strum Machine. Let me know what you think. And next week, Casey Campbell. 
Here is Kim's song that he recorded and sent along for the holiday season episodes called Big Scary Monster, a song. It's a work in progress, but it's great. So enjoy that and talk to you next week. Cheers. Thank you.